Okay, so we're, we're back. We're going to look at the intertestamental period, the period between Malachi and then the, the coming of John the Baptist and the, and the Lord Jesus, and a, a little bit further as well. But what I want to do is sort of set the scene because the world changes a lot in those 400 years. So when the Lord Jesus Christ comes, what is it like? What's going on? And how has God prepared the world uh, for the coming of Christ? Because the scriptures tell us in the fullness of time, God sent his son, born of a virgin. So at the right time, two occasions, Galatians and Hebrews, we're told that uh, it's a, it wasn't just, ah, seems like a good good idea right now to do it. It was always God's sovereignty and there was a, a purpose for it. So um, we have looked at, uh, with Daniel, we looked at the different, the different um, kingdoms. Remember that? So there was the, the Babylonian kingdom and then the Medo-Persian kingdom and then Alexander the Great. And that's really, really important. So Alexander the Great... He, he conquers you know, the, our map. So he has North Africa, he has Israel, um, uh, modern-day Turkey, Asia Minor. Um, he has Macedonia, Macedonia and then Greece. He conquers all this area and then he crosses over to Asia Minor, conquers, 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 conquers Egypt, carries on, carries on, conquers all the way to the borders of, of India. And then remember, we're told that after he dies, the kingdom is divided into four. There are these, these um, four leaders who take over after Alexander the Great. And so we're looking at 323. 323 BC is when he dies, when Alexander the Great dies. And there are the successors. And... The ones that we're concerned about are the uh, Ptolemaic, Ptolemy, the E or no, Ptolemia, and the Seleucids. Okay, so these two fight over this area, and um, but this whole time, what is going on is a process of Hellenization. So, um, through, throughout history, obviously, as empires conquer, they, they bring their language and their culture um, and their norms, and they, <clears throat> they, they have an effect. So, you can see that um, uh, to this day, that many parts of the world speak English. Okay? They were part of the British Empire. Um, and lots of, you know, funny places play rugby and cricket that you wouldn't expect to. And so, uh, you know, that's, that's how it's spread. So Hellenization is the process of um, bringing Greek culture and especially the Greek language. So this is really important because... the dogs in. Um, uh, the Greek language spreads. 
so that when Christ comes, it's the lingua franca. Uh, people all over this part of the world can speak Greek. It might not be their first language, but it's the language of trade. So, when the, mission, when the apostles go out, and especially Paul, when, they, when he goes out, it's quite remarkable how quickly the gospel spreads. Because he doesn't have to go, like, a, think of a missionary today. Let's say a missionary, they, they discover some tribe in the Amazon. That process to reach an unreached people group is, takes decades. Okay? Especially if it's not a literate uh, tribe, so they've not recorded their history, they don't have a written, uh, they don't have an alphabet or something like that. <clears throat> the missionary will have to go there, have to try and figure out their language to try and understand what they're saying, which is going to take years. Mm, a little village in Malawi where that happens, where they had to learn the lingo, create, create a language. alphabet. And then write the Bible yeah. in their lingo. It takes decades. So it's it's and and then it could be a you know it could be a tribe of you know a couple of hundred people, and then there's another tribe down the road that has a slightly different language, and so incredibly slow to reach. Uh, but wherever the apostles go, the gospel flourishes because people understand Greek. Okay. So it God prepares if. If it had been, you know, here we speak Hebrew, um, here we speak Syrian, here we speak this and this and this and all the different languages, you can imagine how slow it would be, the process. Okay. One might say that's probably what God intended. Uh, absolutely, 100%. God is sovereign. <laughs> He's prepared the, sure. the, the, the ancient Near Eastern world for the gospel. Mm. Okay. <laughs> for the rapid spread of the gospel. Now... I think this is quite something, because if you lived at the time of the Greek Empire, you might be saying, Lord, why are you allowing this? Why are you allowing these people to come and conquer all these nations? But what God is actually doing is preparing for the gospel to go forth. Okay? So we can't see that. I mean, it's always, it's, we're always limited. We see within our horizon. Is there another one? <laughs> <coughs> Um, so, you know, you can imagine some of the Jews at, at the time saying, Lord, why have you allowed this? But God allowed it because he wants people to be saved. And that if you can't understand the gospel, you can't be saved. Okay. And so he's preparing the world for this. Okay. Now, what happens to the Jews within Israel is also important to help us to understand what happens. So, with this fighting... Um, between the, the Seleucids and the uh, Ptolemaic Empire, um, we find that the um, Seleucids gain control around about 200 years, 198 BC, 200 years before Christ. Okay? The Seleucids gain control, and in 167, the king is a man called Antiochus IV or Antiochus Epiphanes. And he orders the defiling of the temple. Okay, I think we spoke about that with... Um, so you can just push him off. <laughs> um, 
he orders the defiling of the temple, uh, putting pig's blood there and <clears throat> really, def- you know, things that would be an abomination to a Jew. And that results in, so this is 167, in the Hasmonean revolt. Hasmonean is just from a name, a guy called Hasmon. Um, so, um, uh, what happens is they, they, they go to a town called Modin and um, they, they want to, to sacrifice to, the, to these Greek gods. And a, a guy called Mattathias, he revolts and he, he kills the guy and I think he kills the priest as well who, had, who was a traitorous priest. And he starts this revolt. And the people rise up. This is, the, they call the Maccabees because Mattathias' son, um, Mattathias dies, dies a year later, but his son is called Judas Maccabeus, which means the hammer. Okay, so pretty cool. He's, uh, so it's, they call the Maccabeans, the hammers. He continues the fight and, and sort of defeats the Seleucids and they regain Jerusalem in 164. And they purify the temple. They, they don't gain full independence. Okay? They're, but they're largely independent. They've got the temple back and they rededicate the temple. And that is the Festival of Lights or Hanukkah. Okay? That's where that festival comes from. Okay? So that's the Jewish festival of Hanukkah. is the rededication of the, of the temple. It's not a feast prescribed in Leviticus. Because it's much later. But Jesus attended that feast. Okay? So Jesus was okay with it. Okay? He didn't say, you know, it's a bit like Christmas. A lot of Christians are like, how can you do that? Well, you know, God allows these things. And if you can use it for good and for the gospel, then it's not a problem. Right, that's my argument. But we're not going to get on Christmas, don't worry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't want to get sidetracked on Christmas. <laughs> Um, so what makes this like rededication any different from like previous ones? Uh, because this is, there's something abominable that has happened. This is it needs to be purified and recommitted to the Lord because they were sacrificing pigs in there, and they. I think no, that, you documented that. The the re, the, um, the, Greeks, the history. The uh, no, Josephus, Josephus records it and he had other uh, historical manuscripts and knew the history and so... On the, read, uh, on the what's the name of the Festival of Lights? On this history, yeah. Um, okay, so they gained some sort of independence and uh, this is called the Hasmonean Dynasty. They, they become the ones in charge. Um, In 103 BC, Alexander Janius is made king. So he's one of the Hasmoneans. He persecutes the Pharisees. So the Pharisees are this religious group, religious leaders that sort of develops. On his deathbed in 76 BC, he tells his wife that he made a mistake with the Pharisees. He shouldn't have persecuted them. When he dies, she becomes queen. And so she says to try and appease him, she says, look, you guys can do whatever you like to Alexander's body. So, you know, if you, if you want to um, 
denigrate his body and humiliate him, you can do that as revenge. Instead, the Pharisees decide not to do that. They decide to honor him. And so they become, they're ingratiated to the queen. She appreciates that. And the Pharisees become a powerful group linked to, linked to. About. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, stuff. Yeah. Uh, so they begin to develop as a power uh, um, unit. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, during this time, Judaism is divided into three sects. There's the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Essenes. So you may not have heard of the Essenes. Essenes, E-double-S-E. So, yeah, we, we are familiar with the Pharisees. We're familiar with the Sadducees. One, one D, two Ds. And then there were the Essenes. One N. Okay, so those three groups had developed. Um... The Pharisees were descendants of the Hasidim, which means loyal, and they were devoted to the law, to the scriptures, and to nationalism, so for, for Israel to be free from Roman rule. Okay? So, um, they, they taught the scriptures. They were very concerned with the scriptures. They taught it incorrectly, many times, but... Um, they, they accepted the whole of the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament. The, um, the Essenes, they were a priestly group who, who looked at the Hasmonean reign and the secularization, okay, and they, they withdrew. So they were an ascetic group. You all know what that means, ascetic Ascetic lifestyle means that you, you, you make your life, make life very simple. You, you sort of, there's no luxury. You reduce it sort of to water and bread. They, they, looked at, they looked at Israel and Jerusalem and they said, like, there's all this greed and materialism and um, there's no love for God. And they actually withdrew and they went out into the desert and they formed communities in the desert. And that's where... Maybe you've heard of this. The Qumran. Martyred themselves. No, not martyred. They were, they were saying, we, try, we, want to, we want to keep the truth pure. <laughs> so, and they said, we're going to do that. And that happened in the church as well at certain times. People mm-hmm. withdrew from society to say, we want to keep the truth pure. Anyone heard of Qumran? Okay. I so this is very, very important much, much later on because, I forget when it is, it's probably in the, probably about 60, 70, 80 years ago now. Uh, a shepherd boy in the desert was looking after the goats and the sheep and he, he was throwing stones and then he saw like a, a hole, a cave up there and he threw a stone, went into the cave and it made a, a sound of as if you'd hit a pot and shattered it. Okay. So it made a distinct sound. So it was like, whoa, that's, mm. I wonder what's in there. And he went in there and he found all these 
these clay vessels, and inside of them were scrolls. It's been the biggest sort of archaeological discovery for like 2,000 years, the most important discovery, because it was the Old Testament from the time of Christ. So the Old Testament we had was much later from the Masoretes. So it had been preserved in a cave and then sealed off um, and not touched, and it was preserved. So now the Hebrew translations we had were from much later, like 600 years after Jesus. When we got the old ones from the time of Christ and the apostles, even earlier, we found it's exactly the same. So we could so now, because people, much older. Much older. Wow, okay. And people would say, you, see, you guys have, how do you know you have the right thing? This, the Qumran um, discovery showed yes. God, God has preserved his mm. word. Okay. Wow. So it's very, so, very, very uh, important. They were, he, they were Essenes. They had they'd gone into the desert, formed their own community with, with the scriptures. Yeah. Mm. So, um, so there's not like just one one scroll. No. So, it's not like so one that's a good. Yeah, we'll maybe if we have time, we'll look at what we call textual criticism and how that all works. But we don't have time now to do okay. that. Okay. But but sorry, quick one. There are so there's several like written down. Um, what's just the word? Yeah, yeah, manuscripts. Manuscripts of the old yeah. Testament. Yes. Okay. Um, so hundreds uh, okay. of New Testament, thousands. We have thousands. Mm-hmm. Of, now, it doesn't mean thousands of complete. We have... Um, but the New Testament, we can even make up most of the New Testament simply from quotations in letters. Mm. Okay, Never mind actual New Testament yeah. manuscript. So we have thousands and thousands, and then it becomes an issue of like, okay... Yeah. Of, um, okay, so that's the Essenes and Pharisees nationalism and law the sadducees were part of the aristocracy so very wealthy part of nobility and they were very liberal and they were a lot more aligned with rome because um uh, you you can see this in in history when a country is conquered the wealthy and powerful don't want to lose that position so they they quickly become friends with the with the with the new the new owners, okay, um, and it's normally re- revolution or or will come from ground roots, grassroots, and people then want to recover their own language and their own culture. But the the Sadducees didn't want that. They were not for nationalism because they had it good. Um, and the Sadducees only believed the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses. They didn't believe in the rest, and they didn't believe in the resurrection. You remember, it's the Sadducees that ask, they, they sort of think they've been funny. This guy was married seven times. Mm. No, she, no, the lady was married seven times. Who's, who's husband, whose wife is she going to be in the resurrection? Ha, ha, ha. Um, Jesus, when he deals with the Sadducees, he, he's, he always quotes from the first five books. He won't quote from other books in the Bible when he deals with them. He, he, he destroys them with their own texts. Okay. And one of the, I, I think it's so brilliant the way Jesus stumps them. 
he says this because God will, will in the in the in the the law, he says, "I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob," and he says to the Sadducees, "Is he the God of the living or the dead?" Now God says that long after those three men are dead. God says it, I am now the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Meaning, they're still alive. I'm still their God. So it's a very, I think it's a, a beautiful argument. Um, yeah, basically says they have been resurrected. That they're still alive, yeah. So it's, okay, so that tells you that these are the people at the time, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, um, the just Josephus says Pharisees believed that fate governs some things, but we governed other things. The Essenes, they were they were more hardcore. They said fate governed everything. Okay. And the Sadducees, they were liberal. They like we we govern everything. Okay. So that gives you some of the religious setting. Okay. When Jesus comes on the scene, because the Pharisees are not mentioned in the Old Testament, the Sadducees are not mentioned. It develops during this time. And they become these power groups. Uh, 63 BC, the Roman general Pompey conquers um, Israel. So the Roman Empire now is expanding. Okay? He conquers Israel. He comes into Jerusalem. He goes into the temple. He's not impressed at all because there's no statue to any god. He's quite like, what is this? Uh, Jews and Christians... Strangely enough, were called atheists in in at this time. Okay. For for a long time, because we didn't they didn't have statues. So, oh. so they say you guys are atheists. You don't really believe in any gods. So, okay. Pompey makes Antipater a ruler, political ruler. Antipater, his son is Herod the Great. His son will be the one who's on the, who's ruler under the Roman Empire the time of Christ. Okay. Uh, 49 BC, Julius Caesar crosses the Rubicon back in Italy, um, becomes the first Caesar. So you have the start of Caesars about 50 years before Christ. He's murdered in 44 BC. Uh, his adopted son Octavian, after fighting and everything between other people, becomes the sole emperor in 31 BC. Uh, his name is changed to Augustus, Augustus Caesar in 27 BC. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's actually a good emperor, by and large, because he brings stability, the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. So now think of it again. Okay, So Alexander the Great has brought the Greek language. It's the Romans who bring stability. And what are they famous for? What do we always talk the Roman? Architecture. Latin. You close architecture, Roman, Roman roads. Have you heard that? Oh, okay. You never heard of that, Roman roads. They're still around to, to this day. I didn't know they invented it. Yes. No, I don't know if they they didn't invent roads, but they oh. they built. Perfected. All roads lead to Rome. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's where. It comes uh, from. I see. I see. They, they, they built roads everywhere because their army, so their army could move quickly, mm. so that wherever it needed to get. But they put in infrastructure so that people could begin to travel safely. Hmm. Okay? It wasn't safe to travel before. Okay? You didn't just move freely. Even the Lord Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. The guy goes down. He gets beaten up. Hmm. But the Romans start to bring peace and security. Look, they're cruel. And they're, but 
they bring this and they bring in infrastructure roads so that news can spread quickly. So they are also preparing for the spread of the gospel. Okay. So that Paul can move quickly. And and the and the gospel spreads very quickly. I mean it's it's within Paul's lifetime the gospel goes from uh, Israel, Syria, the whole of Asia Minor, Greece, Macedonia, um, Italy, and then he's saying uh, he still wants to go to Spain. Okay, it spreads. It's it's it's, it's insane. It's all because language, infrastructure, peace, and stability. Okay. Any questions, comments on that? On the Roman side, because now, remember, as the gospel spreads, it's not just Israel, it's the Greco-Roman world. Because the Greeks had influenced the, the world through philosophy and language and culture. The Romans were much more, the Greeks were more thoughtful and philosophical, but that golden age had, had yeah. started to wane, and the Romans were in charge now. And the Romans were much more... <coughs> Action, people of action, men of action. So, um, uh, when we get to the Gospels, we'll see the differences. Um, and so, these cultures have established certain things. Some of the things that come with it are the different social classes. So, slavery, a, f- a free person, a citizen. So, you had a citizen, a free person, a slave. You won't autom- If you're a free person, you won't automatically a citizen. Only, only you know, it, was, it was a privilege to be a citizen of Rome. Okay. Who was a citizen of Rome? Paul. Okay. Um, we don't know exactly how he got that. Some people say that that city um, where, he, where he came from helped uh, one of the Caesars in a battle. And because of that, he bestowed citizenship on that city. Okay. So remember... Citizens were not allowed to be whipped because remember he gets whipped and then the guy is freaking out because he realizes he's a citizen. Okay, So citizens had lots of rights. You couldn't crucify a citizen. A citizen could plead to Caesar. So that's why Paul ends up going on this long journey all the way to Caesar to plead his case. Um, but others, you could do that. A slave was the property of its the owner. The owner could actually take the slave's life. But we don't have any accounts of that happening. Okay. Uh, by and large, it seems that... Because this is important. When we think of slavery, we generally today think of uh, American slavery, race-based chattel slavery. Um, that was not the, the slavery at this time. Yes, people were bought and sold, but it wasn't based on race. And um, a lot of slaves were actually managers of households. So they were very powerful. Some of the, even to this day, if you go to Rome, some of the huge um, arches were paid for by slaves. So they could become incredibly wealthy um, because they were placed in charge of, you know, a very, a whole household, managing a whole household, um, Paul talks about uh, children are under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. So um, we, we must be careful not to impose 
you know, what happens later in our view in Scripture. Um, uh, there's also other things like patron-client, so that was common. It would be a patron who would support a client. Okay, so a wealthy person who would look after a, uh, a client, which was called a patron-client relationship. Um, even today we talk about that patronage. Uh, there's even a website, Patreon, which is there to support artists and things like that. So patrons would do that. That <laughs> act- No, no. <laughs> so this patron-client is actually all the way through the New Testament. God is our patron. He looks after us and provides for us. He's a loving patron. Um, so um, it's, it's, uh, you can see this sort of in the language as well um, of some of the, the Lord, if you are willing, you can do this. Like you're the patron. You can help me if you are willing. Um, so um, we are cared for by the Lord. He is the one who's wealthy and powerful and great. And he's, he looks after us as his children. Uh, that's another thing with children. Um, adoption, as I said to you, with Caesar, Caesar adopts Octavian, but he doesn't adopt him when he's a baby. He adopts him when he's like a full-grown man. Adoption was generally done like that. If you didn't have a male heir, you would, you would adopt um, a full-grown man mm-hmm. to be your son. And he would get your name... And all your your inheritance. So, I think, you, yeah, it was, I think it was like that in a lot of cultures at the time as well. If you didn't have a male heir, yeah. yeah. Okay. So when Scripture says we're adopted, we mustn't think, oh, you know, I was a little baby taken. Yeah. You think more in terms of, I've been brought into a family, mm. and I'm I'm just given the rights and privileges. Okay. Mm. Um, that's what happened to Octavian. He he's brought in, mm. and he becomes Caesar. And he's given all the rights and privileges. Um, okay, now the philosophies at this time in the Greco-Roman world, because they're going to come out as we look at, at the, the, the apostles, and especially Paul as he interacts with heresies in the church. Um, so, so this is the... Um, so I'm giving you sort of the political situation, the religious situation, the the physical infrastructure situation, the language situation. So this is the, the, the ungodly philosophies that were around. So one of the most influential, and even to this day, is Platonism. And that's from Plato, Greek philosopher Plato. And um, uh, he said that this, this world is not the real thing. This is just a world of copies. There is the ideal Okay, um, and that world contains the ideal forms, and um, so he would say things like chairness. You know, how do you define a chair? It's quite an interesting thing. What you know, does it have four legs? But you can have a chair with one leg. You can have a chair with with a back, without a back. Mm-hmm. You know, he would he says there is an ultimate thing that is chairness, and everything else is sort of. And you can do the same with every, everything. Okay? So this world is a world of senses and it's illusory. Um, it's imperfect. These things are copies of what is perfect and ideal. Okay? And Christians, the early church actually 
was influenced a lot by this because in a certain sense it sounds biblical because Hebrews will say that the, in the, the copies of the heavenly are on earth. Um, and so there's certain things. But what, it, what Plato does is he, he says matter is bad. Material is bad. So that's why to the Greeks, remember the, the, the incarnation was ridiculous. Why would God become a man? Because that's ridiculous, okay? Because matter is bad. They, they, they didn't see the world as good. Creation is good. They saw matter as something you want to escape from. Okay? Um, uh, and that, that influences people, especially when we get to uh, 1 John, where John is, has to argue that Jesus really came, the one who we've touched and handled. Okay? He wasn't a ghost. Because later on they started to say, they tried to say, yes, Jesus seemed to come as a man, but he wasn't really. So they had to defend, no, he, he really was a man. The others that are mentioned are the Stoics and Epicureans. They mentioned in Acts 17, the Stoics, um, their focus was on reason and self-control. Okay. Um, Marcus Aurelius was a famous Stoic philosopher. He was a, a Roman emperor as well, and you can still read his writings. Um, so they were very much more into self-control and and the use of reason and, and controlling your emotions, okay? not letting them master you. Um, so we use that term today, stoicism, you know, mm. stiff upper lip, not being affected by one's surroundings. Um, Epicureans were more into materialism and pleasure, but they weren't crass. They weren't like just, hey, let's get drunk and sleep around or something like that. They were... Uh, we use the term Epicurean now to talk about someone who has a fine taste in food. Oh, okay. So, oh, he has Epicurean tastes. He en enjoys fine wine and good food, Michelin mm. star food or whatever. Um, but that's sort of the idea. They were very concerned about pleasure and enjoying things. So you can see these contrasting philosophies that Paul mm. has to deal with. Um, okay, so... And, and as we get to, to this in the, in the different epistles, we'll, we'll deal with it more. Yes. I was going to ask, like, it's... Why... Like, okay, so a lot of these philosophies, I feel like... They, they, there's, you can find, like, a lot of biblical principles yes. in it. Why do you think God would that to Yes. Like, what, yeah. what are we supposed to... Like, yeah, very good. That, or, yeah. yeah. So... Um, I believe that every philosophy that gains traction in the world only does that because it has elements of truth. Okay? If it was 100% rubbish, and okay. nobody would, would say, oh, that's <clears throat> ridiculous. Mm -hmm. But every philosophy that gains traction has an element of truth, um, and it's, it's taken that and then you know, put poison with it okay mm. so god god allows it all truth is god's truth okay if something is true and right and good it's it's from god but satan he will take things and you know has did god say you know he he, he twists it mm. but he does make it <clears throat> believable um 
it just is not comprehensive. Okay. Okay. It can't handle everything. It's not a holistic worldview. Mm. So, but um, they can be points of contact with unbelievers okay, that we can use. Okay, the other thing is that um, uh, as, as Paul goes through the, the world, uh, you know, that, the known world, or their known world, um, we find synagogues everywhere. Remember that? Um, when you read Acts, he's always going to a synagogue. He gets to a city, he goes to the synagogue. That had also developed over this sort of 400-year period because as the Jews had been dispersed through the Assyrians and the Babylonians, remember Esther. Esther was very late, okay? But she's still there. Okay? So the Jews ended up in these cities all over. And they, they built synagogues. They, they built places of worship where they continue to keep Judaism going and even to this day, okay? So they got there because of these these exiles, these dispersions, because of persecution, then they spread and they started jobs, they started lives elsewhere. Um, and that prepares, again, God prepares the way for the gospel to come. Paul has ready access because Paul is, is a Pharisee. He's trained under Gamaliel. So um, he's able to go in there and have, a, have an opening to talk, to preach. And um, sometimes they listen, sometimes they get angry, um, but it's an opening. The other thing is that at this time, there is a lot of, um, if you're familiar with Greek mythology and Roman mythology, you know, Zeus and Jupiter and Mars and Athena and all of those things. At the time of Christ, those religions that started to fall away, people were like, it's not true. Yeah, and those like extremely Yeah, Isn't that almost like, it seems like that would be closer to the time of like Genesis? Like Abraham? Um, yes, parts of it. Parts of that stuff develops. Um, de look, Greek mythology develops over centuries. And in oh, fact, okay. right. you know, if you read um, mythology by Edith Hamilton, uh, I think she'll record, you know, that there's several versions of the story okay so yeah. you can have so greek mythology is incredibly creative mm. and weird and beautiful and um interesting but it's nonsense okay mm. um, <laughs> um and and it started to fall away people realize like this is this is not true that again creates a vacuum people are questioning what is true what is um, so we mustn't think when, you know, when it's a good thing when people start to like question religion and think about these things because then they're, they're ready to hear the truth. Okay. Um, so all of this meant that God has prepared during this period of time, he's prepared for the coming of his son and for the spread of the gospel. And it's an explosion. Uh, and so God's providence it's it's beautiful to see how God prepared the world for the coming of of His Son. Any any questions for you?
quick one, a little bit um, of a side note. But <clears throat> so obviously, like, it seems um, like we believe that everything that happens is ordained by God, and it's through God, even bad things. Yeah. Um, but then there's some churches as well who don't necessarily, maybe not don't believe that, but they don't really preach that. Um, they might believe it, but they don't maybe yeah they don't necessarily preach it. It's, it's a case of like, it's 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 us as people who are bad and we do bad things, and God can sort of use that bad thing to for for His good, but not necessarily that it's caused by God. So is is that like a is that like a theological way of thinking for some Christians or So we would never say that God caused me to sin. That's not what the Bible teaches. Okay. Yeah. But God has ordained every sin that occurs, yet he is not responsible for any sin. Okay. okay. So um that's what the Bible teaches. God okay. cannot sin. Um, but he is absolutely sovereign. He does bring what we mentioned on Sunday. He does bring natural disasters. That's a different thing. But that's not sin. God has a right to, to destroy sinners. And the ground is cursed because of our sin. But um, there's no one, no one sins. And it's like God, it's outside of God's control. God is sovereign over everything that happens. And it is all ordained. Yet I did it. And I cannot say, God, you made me do it. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm responsible for it. Um, there might have been other people involved. There might have been manipulation and deception. They're, they're guilty of that. They will okay. be judged for that. But at the end of the day, I'm still responsible for I my see. sin. Okay. Okay. But it's never outside of what God has ordained. And we see that at the cross in Acts. God ordained the murder of his son. Yet, the apostles say, you wicked men did it. They say, God ordained it, but you wicked men did it. So, yeah, but we'll look at that in Acts. Okay. Okay, so I hope that helps see how God was working. God is always working and is preparing the world for the coming of Messiah. And that's what we'll look at next. Let me, let me pray for us. Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you so much for your word and your sovereignty and how you um, used even uh, things that... No doubt people were questioning you. Why did you allow the Greeks to conquer? Why did you allow the Romans to conquer? But you were using that for good, Lord. You were preparing the world for the spread of the gospel um, so that many people might be saved. And I do pray you would help us to also understand that we can't see the full picture and why you do certain things, why you allow certain things, but uh, to believe the promise that it is for good. We can trust you. You see everything. We only see a tiny little bit and our minds are finite. So help us to trust you more, Lord. Um, please continue to be with us this week. Keep us from sin. Keep our hearts soft, Lord. Be with those who are traveling. In Jesus' name, amen. Right. <coughs>